This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hey, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Variety and iHeart podcast, The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today's first guest is Succession star Sarah Snook. We're chatting about the HBO series 18 Emmy nominations, how she's nothing like her character Shiv, or the early 20th century Jew from Eastern Europe she plays in Seth Rogen's new comedy, An American Pickle. Then later in the show, Jordan Fisher, the actor, singer, and dancer, is here to talk about his new Netflix rom com, Work It opposite Sabrina Carpenter. He also opens up about being multi-ethnic in Hollywood and what he thinks the industry needs to do to be more inclusive. So stick around. I'll have Sarah Snook coming up after the break. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Sarah Snook earned an Emmy nomination last week for her work as Shiv Roy on HBO's hit and totally addictive series, Succession. And now you can catch her in An American Pickle, a new Seth Rogen comedy in which she plays a Yiddish-speaking wife in Eastern Europe in the early 1900s. I caught up with Snook via Zoom while she's quarantining with a friend in Melbourne, Australia. How's your world going? How's your quarantine? Uh, I just kicked into another level. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> I'm in Melbourne at the moment and we just went into, um, stage four lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. So that's and like, I we have a quarantine, were, like a curfew they, quarantine. Right. I saw, I don't know what your government officials are called, but the guy was on the TV. I was watching Twitter. The guy on the yeah. TV, I was watching Twitter. Okay. That was weird. Um, <laughs> but he was like, you can't, you could exercise for one hour within five kilometers. Uh-huh. If you have to go <laughs> shopping only one of you are allowed to shop. Is it that? Is there the outbreak is so bad in Melbourne? Is that why? No, I think we just have different um, expectations of our outcomes. Like we went into the first stage three lockdown when we were getting triple digits of like 150 cases a day, and right. the state freaked out and went, "No, we're going into lockdown." Then you know, three weeks after that, we were getting 700 cases a day, which is insane to think that we went into lockdown. Right. People were right. not going out. And we were getting more cases, but then they found that like one in four would disobey. Like we're, we're actually testing positive and then going to work. It's like, what? <laughs> no. I understand they're like, there are mitigating circumstances and like you might lose your job or all those kinds of things. But it was like, oh, you're kidding me. Yeah, we have to go down into like intense lockdown. But you at least have leaders who are saying. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. 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 And that's fine. Like, I mean, I'm you know, I'm in a very fortunate position having a friend that I can live with. 
otherwise I'd be like living by myself and I would be climbing the walls. And even with this, like this new separate sort of, you have to keep away from everybody lockdown that I'm like, at least I've got a buddy. Well, congratulations. Thanks. Emmy nomination in quarantine. <laughs> it's pretty surreal. Like I, I what? It, I think, again, thank God I'm living with a friend because he was the one who like woke me up to tell me. Like, how do you, ran into how my do you celebrate? How do you celebrate well, in quarantine? Very sweetly, he went and bought some Prosecco and flowers and, and we were like, cheers. Um, <laughs> crickets. Yeah, I was like, nothing going on. What do you do? But like, that's, by the way, what we'll, I feel like what the actual event will be like as well in some ways. It's so like distant and so surreal. Mm-hmm. Will it have ever happened? It, it, apart from in my like fantasy and dream? I don't know. <laughs> And it's really, so what was the, what was the group text going? I mean, 18 nominations. Pretty wild. Yeah. So what is the group text going on? I want to know like, who's saying what? <laughs> There's a lot of like, congratulations and high, virtual high fives. Keep your social distance situation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's wild. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so proud of everybody. And like, you know, like all the, um, the crew as well, like the technical production um, nominations as well, like production design and, and obviously for composing and Nicholas Bertel, like Season one to season two, what, what was the big difference? What was the big difference for you? you um, for, for me personally, going into it, a little more confidence I found, which was great to like mm-hmm. um, feel like I not deserve to be there because I think a hell of a lot of actors and people go through... Um, imposter syndrome that sort of like fraud situation but at least like uh i really enjoy being here and i'm gonna make the most of being here um and then being able to like have the uh the scripts that we got the second season and the sort of journey that she went on was so like what what a delicious sort of situation to sink your sink your teeth into that's right? a, that's the right word delicious yeah. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like, I feel like with the Roy's though, it's like that delicious like gatto mud cake that's like, oh my God, amazing. And the fifth bite, you're like, oh, someone eats this every day. Why are they eat- Why are they making food like this? It's too much. It's too rich. It's like. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, so, you can't eat that every day. So season two comes along. Do they give you all the scripts for the whole season? Like no. you can just read it once or is it no. week by week? It's, it's like cereal, like it's like week by week. Wow. Um, or even like sometimes, you know, a couple of hours before we started the read through one time, which was stressful, but really fun because, you know, it's like, it's, it's like a, you know, kid at Christmas. You open, right. the, open the script and you're like, what's going to happen this time? What funny things are Greg and Tom going to say? <laughs> um, yeah, but so I loved what, it. What scene made you just your mouth on the floor that you were just like, Oh, I mean, first of all, it was like the being offered the CEO. So like being offered the company it was also, and it was so like, and I felt like me as Sarah reading, I'm like, the really, the really? And so like, <laughs> Shim just was like being Sarah, I guess in some ways <laughs> for the scene. Cause Shim was going, really, really? I'm not going to trust this. And then I felt like me reading that uh, was exactly the same, but that one was just great. And that also, oh, that was the first scene that I went back to shoot. Um, for second season and was like oh i'm going like head to head with brian the titan oh no and i've really got to like, prove that i'm worth being on the show and then it seems that they're offering uh shiv a really good storyline this season what if i f this up 
and I'm really bad in this scene, they'll be like, leave. Oh, no, no, no. We can't, we can't give her this storyline. She doesn't have the chops. We've got, <laughs> we've got to rewrite the whole season. That's what you feel like going into this. Like, you seem quite confident in the show when we're watching what? it. You don't see any no. of that neurosis at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all like jazz behind going, oh, I hope it's all right. The show, in terms of camera work, can you ever really be not 100% on? Because those shots they get of you, Everywhere. I imagine yeah. there must be blooper re mm. reels where you like were not paying attention. And like, yeah, totally. Oh. Yeah. Totally. And also like blooper reels where the other camera operators are in the shot, where they're like moving to the next area <laughs> and trying to get around the corner to like pick up something that wasn't being seen or wasn't set up for. And I love that because it means we did one scene, Holly and I did a scene, uh, which by the way, it even sounds so strange using like Holly, first name, yeah, whatever. Uh, the scene where <laughs> we're talking in a cafe in a restaurant. And we did do a formal setup where there was like two dolly tracks pushing in slower and slower, getting different sizes. And that was the first time that I felt like I'd seen uh, the cameras for the first time that season. And that was like episode seven, I think. And what I love about that is that you then, you, the whole thing becomes like a dance. Like all the camera operators are in the scene with us. You can see them, you can see where they're moving. And it's just, it feels like it's always a rehearsal rather than the final thing, which would put a stress and a pressure on it that, um, wouldn't make me feel comfortable, obviously. Yeah. So how often do people think you're going to be just like shit? You're gonna walk in the room and it's product <laughs> and this product coat, these heels, and just tell everyone to go fuck off. Yeah, I mean there was yeah, I, I would like to be I couldn't do it though. I couldn't keep a straight face doing it, I think. <laughs> She's like, hello. <laughs> um but there was a scene where it was just like a, it was a shitty day doing two units and two, we were running late on one and then had to like cross town to get to the other. And, and the scene was like this sort of like bang, 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 you know, I'm annoyed at my dad. So I'm taking it out on you and then yelling at Tom and being conniving. And, and I was in, in that mood as Sarah, just like, just get this done. I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> just got to get this done. And standing there waiting for, for them to turn over. And this poor woman who was, who was her first day on that day, she's like, wow, gosh, you really are intimidating. And I just went, oh, oh no, oh no. The character bleed is happening. It's crossing over. Quick, get rid of her. I've got to exercise the demon. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> it came to it. <laughs> the last time Variety spoke to you guys was um, for our streaming series, and Brian had said that he knows what's going on in season three. So yeah. has he shared anything? No. And, and are he you lying not. to me right now? <laughs> no, I'm not. I know a little bit of what Shiv does, but when Jesse told me, I was like, oh yeah, that's like, I feel like that's standard. That's. <laughs> what's standard shit? I don't know. <laughs> Much more of the same. Um, I, yeah, it's it. If if I were to write it myself, like if I were to like go, she probably does this and she does that. Then it, those are the things that happen. But like those like broad outline things that I think right. that are um, it's the umbrella. That's not the fun part. It's the fun part is like what's in in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have any idea when you'll start shooting again? 
No. I'm still in the hurry up and wait and I don't know when it'll start, but it'll start at some point. I think we wanted to and everyone else does, so... Yeah. But also every once in a while those little kids come into the scene. It's like they're gonna be like this tall by the time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. is gonna be messed up. Well we thought that though was like from the pilot, um, to the pilot we shot November twenty November December twenty sixteen. This is like the election happened. Yeah. <laughs> what a time. I know, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's twenty twenty now, we've only done two seasons. Because like it just, you know, that's the way that schedules work. Um, but then we shot the second episode, which is pure continuation. It's, it's you know, first and second right. chronologically time-wise is like a minute between the end of the first and beginning of the second. We shot that in September of 2017. And so that's like hugely different. <laughs> and then that went through, like, you know, it's like, it's, it feels like a really elongated process to get here. And it, I, it occurs to me that season three, once we do shoot it, <clears throat> I don't know what the schedule is to bring it out, but it'll be a long time from 2016 to yeah. season three, right? And then will season three also incorporate mm. coronavirus? I think Jesse wants to be delicate about it and yeah. just I, classy. Like, I think it's a thing that everybody's aware of and where, uh, you know, audiences are really intuitive these days. So even just seeing a mask in the background of something or hand sanitizer, like those things that have like become part of our daily life. Right. Those things, maybe, but nothing that is so overt that is going to really tackle it head on because that's not the show. We want to see the Roy's doing the thing that they've been doing that we love, right. not pivoting towards a pandemic story. So what's the one scene you filmed for season two that didn't make the cut? And you're like, damn it. <laughs> um, oof. There is a scene that I really cannot say what happens <laughs> in it, but I know it's a big old damn it. And I can't wait to see what happens with it <clears throat> for season three. And it's not my character. Um, there's a couple of things like that, which I love. There was a scene um, that Matthew had in season one that got cut, but then got rewritten into season two. And I, uh, now I'm thinking about it. I'm on the fly. I can't think if it is in season two, but if it got cut, then it could be like, but just because the writing is so great. Some, it, and we, it's, it's overwritten in, in terms of length, um, mm. not, not style. Uh, but you know, we're, we're shooting a, a 58 minute um, episode and we're writing that, you know, they're writing 75 pages sometimes. Like the episode 10 was wow. so long and it reads so well. Like it's just so, it just bounces along that you don't feel, you know, that you've written, that you've read 85 and it gets cut down and cut down before we start right. shooting, but they're long and, and we shoot is- all of that. So then things get, have to get cut. And so when they do get cut, you go, oh, does that mean it exists in the universe or doesn't in the minds of the characters or does it have to get like struck from the memory? Right. So Brian famously has told a story, he's told the story to me um, and to other people about how he was at a cafe once, someone tapped him on the shoulder oh, yeah. and said, we really love the show. Uh-huh. Has anything like that happened to you? Have you heard through any connections that the Murdochs are into Shiv? No, I have no idea. <laughs> no idea. Although um, I, at the Globes last year, oh, this year, oh, it was this year. Gosh, it was a long time ago. <laughs> <Henry>. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did, uh, yeah, see, see some walking towards me. I was like, oh, wow, I'm being interviewed. That's weird. Um, but no, not, I have not um, met or um, had any interaction personally with. Who was that coming towards you? Memory of, um, 
just just a person who was invited to the Globes that uh, is, is of a family of that ilk. But the thing is, as I'm sure everybody has said that you have interviewed or has been interviewed <laughs> from session, it's not based on a family. It's based on like you know an amalgamation of <laughs> families of that that level who are you know working with that kind of money and that kind of power. And now <laughs> we have to talk about American Pickle. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you're a Jew from <laughs> it was Eastern a lot of fun Europe. From yeah. Eastern Europe and they're like, now I'm a Jew. I uh-huh. have those Jews in my family. I, I was a little surprised when I saw Sarah Snug as the Jew from this made-up country in Eastern Europe. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get involved with this movie? Do you know, do you know? <laughs> it came to me um, as the first offer I ever got, like straight out offer in the States. And I was like, oh my God, cool, Seth, again. Like, you know, I'm surprised you remembered me. We worked on um, Steve Jobs together, uh, but that was a couple of years earlier. I was like, oh, cool, okay, interesting. Let me see what the character is. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's a Jewish woman who only speaks Yiddish, who lives in Schlupsk, Poland, 1919. So I'm basically his grandmother and his wife. That's weird. Trying to explain people that to people, they were very confused. Um, in the in the brief as well, she had a limp. There was a fight scene, and she bites the head off a fish, and is has a very distinctive sneeze. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, and you instantly thought of me. Awesome. I don't know how I feel about that. I hope I don't get typecast. Um, but I'm in. I'll do it. I accept. I'd love so, to play this. So how much? How much Yiddish did you know? <laughs> <laughs> I learned word for word my lines and then I knew what sets were when he was speaking. Um, but then, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I worked with a, a Yiddish um, coach who had done the, um, uh, the Fiddler on the Roof, the, the full Yiddish version of that. And he was brilliant and was able to really like get the intonation and that kind of thing. And you know what? Oh, <laughs> he will be, he'll be like wringing his hands because when I saw it, I was, I gasped. The edit, in the edit of the film, the one mistake I made, I'm sure I made many, but the one mistake I made is definitely there. And I can see really? it. And I'm like, ah, oh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> There's an intonation thing that's wrong. Like I said it wrong. And I corrected myself as well. And they've used that version. I'm like, damn it. What's your favorite Yiddish phrase? My, my favorite? Uh, mm-hmm. The one that I do remember is, which um, is <laughs> from memory, I think that's like, no. Uh, it's too expensive here and I am, and I am uh, destitute. When she's asked, why do you come here often to this market store? I'm like, yeah. What did you think when you heard the premise of the movie? Oh, insane. <laughs> because of that, I loved it. I'm like, yeah, sign me up. How bizarre. I love it. And I love that in the trailer, you can see um, the, uh, the scientist explains the logic and everyone believes him. Right, that's all you need. <laughs> it's a freaking movie. <laughs> Let's enjoy the imagination part of it. Let's it's a enjoy movie the called American Pickle. <laughs> For so long, it was just Untitled Pickle Film, which so I also. Untitled Pickle Film. Yeah, you know how they do like the Untitled Seth Rogen right. or the Untitled Something. This is untitled, untitled Pickle. pickle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I can't ask if you rapid or improv anything. <laughs> no, I had. Genuine nightmares, and I don't. I'm not a person who um, dreams that they turned up on stage naked or anything like that. I, I, I do have day waking anxiety, but not sleep anxiety very often. 
But um, this this one, I, I had nightmares where I was on set and I had decided not to learn my lines. I thought I'd go succession on it and, and know my lines, but kind of like could wing it around, you know, know the intention, but not the word perfect. And I rocked up on set and was desperate to find an AD who had sides because I didn't know what I was meant to say in Yiddish. And Seth was like coming towards me to start his shot. And I was like seeing him approach going, I don't know my lines, I don't know my lines. I would go to sleep dreaming of, of Yiddish, like scrawling across my brain. Oh. So yeah. you come home, your friends, your family say, so where were you? What were you filming? <laughs> oh, I played as Jewish. What did he think? <laughs> well, the hardest part was to get around just the premise of the film. Like I play <laughs> Seth's um, wife and also his grandmother because he plays his own grandfather and himself. Right. <laughs> They're like, oh, okay. So in two different time periods, well, I die. So you're not, hang on. <laughs> Like, I'm only in 1919. Um, yeah. When are you going to release some music? Because have you heard <laughs> Nicholas Braun's antibody song? Yes. I was going to bring it up before when you were talking about the rom-coms with the masks. I'm like, well, <laughs> the theme song is antibodies. Have you, do you have the? Um, I love it so much. It's been in my head for like three, four days straight. Like, I can't <clears throat> go to sleep at night. And I'm like, yeah. also because, oh. The, the lyric of like, mask on, mask on, mask on, mask on. And then the pants off bit. Every time I'm leaving the house, I'm like, okay, keys, wallet, phone, hand sanitizer, mask on, mask on, mask on, mask on. Yeah, <laughs> it's just stuck there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when are you going to do a music video? When are you going to uh, sing a little bit for us? What would I do? I mean, Jeremy's got his rap. Nick, yeah. Nick's got his, he's got his punk song. <laughs> It's kind of punk. It's like Blink 182 or... Yeah. What would I do? What would she, sort of... I don't know what Shiv would do, but I, I mean, I, I grew up with... My, my cousin is a, is a, is a hip-hop guy. I grew up sort of trying to pretend to be him and rap a bit. I really like rapping. <laughs> I sound so white when I do it. I'm so shy about it. I really like rapping. Ping. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I can sing. I. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what I would. What I would release, or when I would release something. But it would be fun. What was it, it like hearing fun. Jeremy for the first time? Oh, it. I just in like. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate how Jeremy had asked the director whether we could. Um, if if the first time he did the um, performance, whether it could definitely be have, having the cameras being trained on us as well as him, like he was putting his. He basically said coverage for me let's deprioritize that in the way that is good for this because i really want to make sure we get like the first glimpses of them seeing <laughs> me do this which heaven because it meant also what was scripted was very different from what actually ended up happening because i couldn't actually maintain a straight face to do what was scripted and be shiv about it it was that's just sarah laughing <laughs> and it makes sense for shiv as well and and kieran had something different for roman as well but that sort of just evolved into uh, what it was amazing like because it's so it's good and bad and wrong and right and it really it sits right in the middle of all of it that you just the fun question for you what was the first audition you ever went on whether you got the role oh. or not oh i you know weirdly i had this memory just recently and i don't remember the inside but I remember being outside. I did Sound of Music when I was, um, 
I would have been like maybe 12. So I feel like I was the wrong age for the female characters, but I went along anyway because a friend was auditioning and he was really good. He ended up being in it and getting cast. And I remember being outside the hall. It was like a community hall where we would have to audition. So it was a professional gig and I'd never done a professional gig. I remember being outside and seeing like streams of children going, lining up to get in and me just going, oh no, 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 no. This is not good. This They're all in competition. No, no, no. You're 11. Yeah. I, no, I'm not, I don't want to be in competition with people. This is not going to work out for me at all. Um, but yeah, that was, that probably was the first audition. I don't remember what happened inside. I probably blacked out um, from the inside. I had a lot of fun, I'm sure, but I don't remember what happened. I imagine you had to sing. Yeah, sing and then dance in groups. But uh, (laughs) I really don't remember. Like, I just remember the outside of the hall. I don't know what happened. I've blocked the memory out. That's how dramatic the first audition was. And you didn't want to compete in the group right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What was I thinking? And you didn't Uh, want to compete to play an old Jewish woman. I know that that's that was a real blindsider. What happened there? <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. And congratulations. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. Do you have an acceptance speech written? No, what? I mean, like, will I be in my pajamas? What's gonna right. what's what gonna are, happen? What are you gonna wear to the Emmys? Um, I don't know. Like I, is it we could just wear whatever we want? I don't know how they're gonna do it. It's still a, it's a it's a conversation that's happening. Like, I could go like full tux and just like subvert the norm and be a pajama tux or something weird. I don't know. I could wear a house plant. I'm mean, we'll be at home. Like, it's like, so like, it'll be memorable. Whatever it is, it'll be memorable. It will be it'll be like where were you for the twenty twenty Emmys? Yeah, probably at home. In, t- in tuxedo pajamas. <laughs> in bed <laughs> yeah. well yeah. no matter whatever it's still amazing you got nominated the show 18 nomination which is just yeah a lot of that's extraordinary amazing. yeah very proud i'm really proud of the team like, just and really hopefully proud. you'll be uh able to shoot season three sooner than later yeah same i can't wait to get back to work and i think everybody's in that same boat no matter the industry or situation we can't wait yeah. to get back to you know, the next phase of normal. I'll stay safe. Happy note. Um, <laughs> mask on, mask on, mask on. And also maybe keep your pants on for the, you know, unless they've got the antibodies, that's it. I'm wearing shorts right now, so. The same shorts I wear yeah. every day. <laughs> yeah, I'm in my trackies, the same trackies I wear every day. Bye. Bye. That was Sarah Snow, an American Pickle is streaming on HBO Max. I'm going to take a short break, but when I return, I'll be chatting with Jordan Fisher. Stick around. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk Walk a mile mile in my shoes. shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. 
Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Jordan Fisher was well on his way to becoming a champion gymnast when he followed a girl he had a crush on in the fifth grade into the drama club. Now, at 26 years old, he has a long list of television credits to his name. He won the 25th season of Dancing with the Stars, and now he's in Work It, the second rom-com from Netflix following the February release of To All the Boys, P.S. I Still Love You. I chatted with Fisher from his home in Los Angeles, where he returned after his work starring in Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway came to an abrupt halt when theaters closed due to the pandemic. Now, this is, um, this is my streaming rig. So I, I'm, I'm here in my office for eight hours a day minimum. Right. I'm streaming yeah. eight to three. And then I have usually, you know, these kinds of things afterwards, like a Zoom or phone calls, emails, that kind of thing. So. So Got to be you cozy. Have perf- you have the perfect lighting for just all day long, no matter what's going on. <laughs> Absolutely. How you doing, Mark? I'm good. How you doing, Jordan? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, I've watched your new movie, Work It. Okay. It's fun. It's, it's fun. fun. Huh? It's, it's a you fun know, summer it's, movie. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, so tell tell everyone, tell us about your character. Tell us about Work It. What is yeah. Work It and who do you play? Work It is your, it, it's, it's your your underdog story, right? It's your Cinderella story of, uh, you know, uh, this girl Quinn who, who very ambitious, very driven, very focused on what she thinks that she wants in her life and how ultimately through evolution, you know, meeting, being around certain people, uh, spending time with oneself and just kind of reflecting on, on what her actual goals are in life. And, Maybe even some of the, the like some of the things that she feels like she's missing in her life will will turn that into something else and and um, you know that's that's kind of how this ragtag team of dancers comes <laughs> together and then and then you meet my character Jake Taylor, who was 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 on the track to becoming possibly one of the best dancers ever in America <laughs> and uh, and in in a competition towards ACL. And unfortunately, you know, it, it, it's that like that athlete story of all oh, like, you know, now I'm crunching numbers in an office, you know, but I was, <laughs> was going to be the quarterback for the Chiefs one. You know what I mean? That was it's, it's kind of that uh, Jake is this, you know, he's a good guy. I think he, he starts off pretty, pretty harsh and kind of cold to begin with because, you know, he's he's torn up. He he misses the life of training and dancing and performing. And that was taken away from him. And, um, you know, now he's teaching dance at like a kid's dance studio and, and um, you know, missing that thing that he, he right. worked so hard to get. And then obviously meets Quinn and you could imagine what happens, you know, just in terms of romance and everything. <laughs> they fall in love for each, you know, with each other. And, and um, you know, he helps them. He helps Quinn and, 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 and the rest of these dancers you know, build themselves into an actually really great dance team. And Quinn, obviously, at the beginning, she doesn't know how to dance. At all. Was there, was there ever a time that you didn't know how to dance, that you didn't know how to sing, that you didn't know how to act? I yeah. feel like, <laughs> yeah. when? Yeah, <laughs> funny enough, you can actually ask anybody that was in my life before the age of 10, including my parents. I apparently was tone deaf. I couldn't carry a note to save my life. I always thought that I sounded really? the same. Yeah, no, I, I I always thought that I was uh, that that I was fine. You know, I'd be singing Whitney Houston in the car and and jamming out and doing the thing. And and uh, apparently, it did not sound the way that I heard it until one. So day. so one day, what happened when you were ten? Your voice cracked. One day, I woke up <laughs> and I could sing. Apparently, and again, this is like 
I, again, it, it, not, it sounded the same to me, but according to my parents, according to my friends, you know, that grew up with me, they're like, no, it, that's what happened. Like one day, all of a sudden you could sing. So I don't know. Wow. I don't really know how that, how that worked out. I, I, I had a love for music from a young age. I had a love for dance and just art in general, film, television. I didn't know that I wanted to pursue it. Gymnastics was my thing. That, that was, mm-hmm. that was what I was working hard to do was to eventually, you know, make the U S team and really? the Olympic route. Yeah, that was, that was it. That was all I knew. I'd go to wake up, go to school, go straight from school to the gym. I do homework on the way train and then on the way home from from the gym after you know four hours five hours in the gym i'd I'd do more homework wake up early the next morning finish the homework go back to school rinse and repeat so that was my that was my life until so what happened to what happened i joined the drama club because there was a girl in fifth grade that i had a crush on so that was it (laughs) mom didn't raise no fool so uh, fifth grade, you're like, mom, I'm in love. I'm, I'm forgetting uh, about gymnastics. And then I told her, <laughs> I, I, I told my folks, I was like, hey, I got a solo in this musical that we're doing at school. And they were like, oh, <laughs> oh, OK, <laughs> well, that goes, you know, and the way that the story goes, according to them, I, I, I left the room and they were like, if he has a solo, what do the rest of these can sound like? And, and uh, it was Schoolhouse Rock. I sang Conjunction and one thing led from another one one thing led to another it was uh january of my fifth grade year through december of that same year so going into my sixth grade year i did my first school play into my first community theater show regional theater show joined a professional theater company and then joined the year-round conservatory program that they had and i got bit by the bug really hard very quickly and fell in love now now is this this girl you were in love with is this the one who's going to be your wife no it's not no. No, so i met, i did meet ellie uh at that same theater conservative, like the year round program. Um, but that was a few years later. That was, I, I was 13 when we met. Oh, you had, th- oh, you were yeah. an older man. Yeah, I was, an, I was an older man, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, but, but it was funny because we, you know, we, we grew up friends. That was it. You know, she was right. a few years younger than me and, and, you know, 13 and nine, like that's such a massive age gap at that time. So she was like a little <laughs> sister to me, you know, growing wow. up. And then, you know, we, we re-met as adults and I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> uh, hi. <laughs> And thankfully, she agreed to date me, and then eventually agreed to become my wife. So, and are you, you really planning a wedding this month? It no, no. Okay, so it actually got moved, unfortunately, due to. <laughs> I thought that, that, I, when I saw that, I was doing my research. I'm like, yeah, man, really getting married this? No month? trips, no, no trips uh, to Hawaii in July. Unfortunately, it's it is interesting though because we'd we'd be days away. It's odd. It's odd wow. to think about. Yeah, I. Uh, would have completely finished my run on on uh, Evan Hansen and moved into a right. film that I'm, I'm producing and and then straight into straight into you know these final days of wedding prep. Wow! And COVID obviously you know moved things. things. COVID had different plans. She had different plans. So when when you joined the drama club, was it just like this is what I want to do, or was it a uh, gradual thing? Yes and no, I'd say, you know, you, you get bit by the bug and any theater kid will tell you that, you know, all of a sudden that's like the thing that you want most right? is to find more opportunities to learn and develop and hone your craft and ultimately perform for people. And so it, it was, it was pretty easy to tell. I mean, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. I think that looking back on it now, the performance aspect of gymnastics was the thing that I was really drawn to. It was the working really hard at my craft, um, figuring out how to get good, figuring out how to be better and setting my own records and, and goals for myself. And then 
you know, like the meat comes and it's all those years and those just painstaking hours of blood and sweat and tears comes down to that one, you know, 45 seconds, a minute and a half moment of doing the routine and getting judged on it. And um, there was a real performance aspect yeah. of gymnastics to me there. And, and obviously I'm thinking more so about that now, you know, so many years later. And mm. I think that that was, it was new to me, right? Mm. Art was something that I loved, but didn't necessarily know that I could do it, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, getting, putting myself in a position where, you know, I could practice these things and, and, and ultimately have, ultimately have created something with a bunch of other people and it bring joy to people. That was the thing that really became more of a drug to me than I anticipated it doing. And then, you know, I joined this, this, this theater company, Red Mountain Theater Company in Birmingham, Alabama is amazing company. Um, there's so much talent that comes out of there. I mean, we, we probably have like six alumni on Broadway, seven, six, seven, eight alumni on Broadway and on national tours and, you know, working in film and music and all of these things now. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of great talent that comes out of there and it's the training that comes out of Red Mountain Theater Company. And um, yeah. it, it was amazing. But And you, you were in Dear Evan Hansen. Mm-hmm. What's it like leaving that day where they're like, we're closing up the theater right now? Like, mm-hmm. what do you do? Did it you was- re- did, we had no clue that that Wednesday night show was our last show. You know, woke up the next morning. It was a very normal Thursday morning. I I'd stream in the morning, and then um, Thursdays that's my my session with my vocal coach. So I I had lunch, got ready. You know, Ellie's at work. Um, took my dog to the daycare. I got you know dressed. I was about to hop in the car and head to head to Liz's studio my, with my vocal coach, and and I got a text. In a, in a text thread that I have with, with my castmates, and it was literally just the Playbill article that was tweeted out that effective today, Broadway shut down at 5 p.m. So that very quickly went from, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to my vocal session. I'm going to figure out what's going on. That was a Thursday afternoon. Right. You know, 15 minutes later, I think I was on a conference call with the entirety of the Evan Hansen production company. So this is all of the casts. This is all everybody that works for the show uh, from the national tour to Broadway to the West End. And um, it, it was a bit of a town hall Q&A. What does this mean? How long are we looking at this? Uh, of course, initially it was just a month. And um, those of us that are based in New York full time, you know, our first question was, can we and should we go home for this right. period of time? And our EP said, yeah, like this is the time. To, to go if you can. So I was on a flight that Saturday. Um, wow. And then I, yeah, full-time streaming schedule started on Sunday and I've been here since. It has to be, I mean, I don't know if surreal is the right word, but you don't get to say goodbye to your cast. I mean, this is your fit, you know, this is the tight family that yeah. you're with every night. Right. And you just have to be like, okay. Yeah, we're all in the same boat, you know? Yeah. You know, it, it, it definitely sucked. It was, it happened so quickly, but, um, you know, the, the, the unknown is the hardest part, I think for any of us, especially that, you know, I guess rely on the comfort of knowing exactly where we're going and what we're doing every day of the week, mm. you know, um, 
I think it was the unknown that was so uncomfortable for everybody and, and still is really the thing that weighs heaviest on my heart, honestly, is just, um, I think specifically the people in the industry, even more specifically in New York city where Broadway, Broadway's it. This is what, this is what I do. This is my day. This is my nine to five. You know, I, I wake up, I have my day. I'm working on other things sometimes. And then I'm going and doing the show in the evening, you know, we go clock in and do the show and then go home and rinse and repeat, you know, and that's eight times a week. And when I'm not working on my show, I'm working on a TV series or I'm working, um, you know, maybe one of the makeup artists freelances and is, you know, a part of a, a series or, right. you know, an art gallery, whatever the case may be, all of it shut down. You know? So that's the thing that I think weighed heaviest on my heart, especially for, for the people that are in this beautiful community that have families, you know, yeah. there's a, there's a single mother in my cast and that it's devastating, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, hopefully we will come out of it. Like you said, stronger and yeah. more resilient. And it's going to be one of those things that we could survive this. It's going to make us pretty tough. I hope. I, I completely agree. It's funny because I'm, I'm producing a handful of movies over the course of the next couple of years. And that's, that's a brand new side of my life. And my world is, is getting my production company up and running and built up and, and um, thankfully, you know, I've, I've got some things that are already like on the ground and running and right. are being developed and we have timelines for things and we're planning around how to film during COVID and talking to film right. insurance companies and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, man, like, it's almost like learning how to produce during COVID is like learning how to drive in LA. It's like, if you could drive in LA, you can pretty <laughs> much drive anywhere. I'm like, I, no, I can really... produce a film during this time. So singer, dancer actor, producer, streamer, who do you look, who's your inspiration? Who do you look to saying that person's on my vision board? Donald Glover. Yeah. Donald Glover. Yeah. He's, he's doing it. He's, yeah, why, why, why is he the one who's doing it for you? And just, I mean, everything he, he has the hand of Midas, everything he puts his hands right. on just turns to gold and it's genuine. It's real. He, yeah, I have a handful of, friends that have worked with him and they all say the same thing about him. They talk about how, a, how kind he is, how uh, respected he is in the industry because of his kindness and his work ethic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really incredible. I mean, he's constantly moving and shaking and, and, you know, so loved in the music industry, so loved in the film industry, writers and producers love him for his work he did on community in Atlanta and right. as an actor he just, he takes advantage of all of the, the moments, you know, he's got dynamic and range for days and, and, um, he's a black man. He's doing Talent. it and he's, 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 he's Talk. so loved and so respected and happens to also be black. Talk about that because, you know, there was a time when men like you didn't have people yeah. like Donald Glover's to look up to. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, just that. Yeah. Just that. It's, yeah. I mean. Yeah, I, I think that we've come a long way, but God, do we have a long way to go still? Yeah. You know, I think the people like Lynn Mimal Miranda and, and Donald Glover and, and I mean, we could go down a list of incredible taste and change makers in our industry that, you know, happen to be people of color mm. that are so loved and their work is so loved. Um, 
think that it's 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 the lack of opportunity to showcase these things that we really still need to have our eyes and ears on. Yeah. Um, you know, I actually talk about this often. I, I don't know that I've actually spoken to any outlet or anything about it, but, you know, on Twitch, for example, all of the top, top streamers on Twitch are white men, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I quite, I'm like, what, how is that really a thing? You know what I mean? Like what, how does, how does that work its way there? Because there are plenty, I mean, it's a, it's a very diverse space and the gaming industry itself is remarkably diverse as well. It's just the, there's just a lack of spotlights that are shed on creators that are people of color um, that maybe it's overlooked. Maybe people aren't necessarily thinking about it. They're just like, oh, this guy's popular. You know, let's let's feature him on the front page. Let's, you know, but it's, it's people are, you know, people have, you know, they're not they have that unconscious. Mm-hmm racism in the sense of like that's the white guy right yeah you put yeah. the white guy on the page um yeah, and, you know. and i think that like i and i could talk about this all day right, right. especially over the course of the last couple of months i mean like i've had right. conversations ad nauseum with people that are in my personal life in my work life you know my community on twitch etc cetera, etc cetera. i think that ultimately at the end of the day still black voices are the most inspirational but also white voices are still the most powerful <laughs> and there's 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 not a lot of change that can happen until the white voices go huh yeah. I mean, maybe <laughs> what if we did this you know and and well, then tested the waters well what's great i mean taking it back to work it you look at yeah. work it that diversity oh. in the cast. You look at so many of these Netflix, especially in the streaming world. But I keep saying my thing is it's a, it's going to be a generational shift. Yeah, absolutely. It's not going to happen overnight. You can't. And 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 it's going to feel very, it's going to feel very inorganic to consumers as well, right? I mean, like right. any any move that is made by any big studio or network at the moment that flexes and leans towards you know the world of color, mm. it. To consumers, seems like there's an agenda, and if there is, right. then screw it, you know, because right. the agenda should be inclusivity and diversity. That <laughs> should that's, be an, that even should, an agenda. It should yeah. just be. <laughs> but even if it, like, even if it, we need to call it an agenda, <laughs> then then agenda. sure, <laughs> it's an agenda. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, diversity. I got the I, I got sent the poster from the head of my social media team. She sent me the poster for work yesterday, and it literally made me shed a tear. I looked on. I looked at it, and of the nine odd people that are on there, two of them are are, are white. And I'm not saying like take the jobs away from the white people. <laughs> I mean, I'm white as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just I love to see the way that America is shaped now. Which is why I love shows like Hamilton, for example. You go, and you you see Hamilton and these <sighs> seemingly mythological creatures: George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Addis, blah 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 blah. blah. They're all played by people that look the way that America looks today, you know, right. and it's just what it is. It's not that it's not talked about. It's not, you know, right. whatever. It just, it is what it is. And I think that that takes time, first of all, and it, and it's fine that it does. Because again, we have come a long way, but we still do have a long way to go. And taking these steps or, you know, it's, it's the only way where there's a world where my kids and my grandkids will, will, it won't even be a, a thought process. It won't be a conversation that's had because you're a human and I'm a human right. and we're all humans. 
you know? <laughs> so has it even changed in that time that you're been in the business? Like, do you, have you seen yourself up for roles that when you even first started out, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have happened? Yeah. Yeah. I think that it has. Um, I think that it has in some minor ways for sure. I, mm-hmm. when I, when I first got started, I mean, we're, we're talking 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of blended families for somebody like myself, who is multi-ethnic, I, I'm mm-hmm. all sorts of different things. I'm white, <laughs> I'm black, I'm Italian, I'm Greek, <laughs> I'm Pacific Islander, I'm Asian, I'm all sorts of things. You know, the idea of blending a family, you know, let there be a white mom and a black dad or vice versa. It just wasn't normal. You know, it just, no. it, it's, it's still, I mean, even though we can talk about all sorts of families that are, you know, beautiful all over the world, not just America, that that are of all of these different, you know, ethnic backgrounds, et cetera, that representation on screen just rarely existed, if yeah. it did at all. And uh, I have seen more of that. I still, mm-hmm. to this day, actually just, just last year, I, there, I was in talks for a pretty big role for a pretty big film from a pretty big studio and had had friends at the I think he I think he's trying to tell me that he's not going to tell me what it is. Oh, I'm not going to say what it is. I'm definitely not going to say what it is. I, 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 you know, I'm not, I'm not I'm not here to harm anybody, but I I was I was told, you know, ears on the ground there that because they already had their ethnic lead and it was a different color from the original character. Um, they, for lack of a better term, needed more, I guess, inclusivity, you know, right. I, I'm either not black enough or I'm not white enough. Right. And that's the, that's the thing. Mm. Like I still get today that irks me. Obviously I am who I am born the way that I am, you know, um, I could say like, listen, I'll tan, but what's the, what's, <laughs> could you, could what's you the, imagine? What's the point? You know, what's the point? Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it definitely, it definitely still is a thing, mm. you know, and I think, um, is becoming less and less frequent. I think that because the voices are so loud right now and as the conversation continues to flow just within our social culture, um, we'll continue to see more change. What, is, what does it feel like to get, you know, a tweet or a Instagram or or message anywhere from a kid who says, you look like me. There's nothing like it. Yeah. Chris Jackson, who played the original Benny and in the Heights played the original mm-hmm. George Washington and Hamilton. Yep. I was a huge fan of his. I was 13 years old and uh, we had a mutual friend that I didn't know was a mutual friend who got him to call me because he knew that I was a fan. Uh, well, she knew that I was a fan, got Chris to call me. We talked for an hour about life and art, family and friends, and blah, blah, blah. I was, still, I was a kid in Birmingham, Alabama. I just started making my first trips to L.A., you know. What? But there was That's a guy crazy. that was working on Broadway in a show that I loved that was mixed. He was doing it, you know. Corbin Blue, who became a very good friend of mine. Yeah. High School Musical. Dude looks like me. He's doing it. <laughs> He's like up there and doing the thing and we could be brothers. That's awesome. 
you know, and I told both of these guys this thing. And, and of course, like now they're both very good friends. Um, because the industry is this big, as you know, right. you eventually just meet people and work with people and so on and so forth. But at the end of that conversation, I mean, when I, I was telling Chris, you know, what an inspiration he was to me and still is, you know, still love him to death. We actually we're having a whiskey date next week, sit down and <laughs> chat over FaceTime and, and catch up. But, um, you know, I told him, I, right, like when we, first, when we first met over the phone, I was like, I, I admire you so much for all these different reasons, but one of the things that I love most about you is something that you're not even responsible for. It's, it's that you look like me and you represent those of us that didn't know that we could actually do what you're doing and you're doing it at the highest level. And that means the world. And then he said, we ended that conversation with, I can't wait to work with you one day. And then we did Hamilton years later. Well, Jordan, thank you so much. This is great. Thank you for having me. That was Jordan Fisher. Work at premieres on Netflix on August 7th. Well, that's it for today's Big Ticket. Thanks for listening. Coming up next week, I've got, and I'm so excited about this, Nicole Byer, host of Netflix baking competition show, Nailed It. Until then, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And for all your up-to-the-minute Hollywood news, head over to Variety.com. Stay safe, be well, and please wear a mask. See you next week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.